0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students podcast. This week, we are continuing our Run It Back series and diving into one of the all-time favorites, dating. This week, Matt teaches us from Song of Solomon and helps us identify the four pillars of modern relationships to see how they do not build a strong foundation. Instead, we learn the four pillars of biblical relationships and how by submitting to these models from scripture, we can have much healthier approaches to our dating relationships. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. So good to see you guys. My name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here. It is such a joy to be with you here tonight. Welcome on this beautiful Sunday evening. I am so thankful to be here. Some of you maybe, (laughs) some of you maybe have seen, I've been traveling uh, recently, and I but I just want you to know I would rather be nowhere else than right here with my people, my familia, right here, right now. I miss you guys too. I am a little jet lagged, just so you know. It feels like it's 3 a.m. for me right now. But I am, I was in Azerbaijan, I was in the Middle East, and we were doing a, like church planting training over there. It was great. But I am a little jet lagged, but I want you to know this is where I'm at, this is where I want to be with my people. I miss you guys. And this every other week meeting in the summer, it just makes me miss you all the more. So thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. We are in the midst of a series we call Run It Back, where we are choosing some of our favorites over the past five or six years, and we are taking a second look at them. And as I was talking with students about which ones to teach this summer, this one was like you have to do it. In fact, it it was this one that even started the whole idea for the Running Back Series. Uh, And it is all about relationships. That's right. Tonight we are talking about the sacred idea of dating. So show of hands in the room, let me see them loud and proud. Who in this room is in a dating relationship tonight? Not with each other. It, they could like not be here, but who's in a dating relationship? Anyone? A few of you guys? Okay, some of you guys are like embarrassed to admit that. are like, I am, but I don't want people to know, right? Like, okay, so you're dating. Let me ask this. Who has ever been in a dating relationship in this room? Nice. Let me ask this. Who, who wishes they were in a dating relation? No, I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> I do, man. <laughs> it, didn't, it doesn't work out. All right, so here's the deal. Tonight we are talking about dating. Here's what I want you to know about dating. Dating, or at least the way we think about it, is not a biblical concept. That that is not to say that it's wrong. Drinking coffee is not a biblical concept, and you all know your boy gets down on the bean. Okay, so, but if you're in the room and you've ever wondered if you've ever ever had a crush on. on on your boo or your bae and you're like man what does the bible have to say about dating and you're like scanning the pages and you're like jesus would you please i'm gonna pray i'm gonna close my eyes and then i'm gonna flip a page and open and give me a word for how to ask this girl out if you've ever been there you will not find it because the bible does not talk about dating dating is a very recent concept maybe like a hundred years old or so, and you also need to know it's a very American or a very westernized concept. I don't know if you guys know this, but the rest of the world doesn't approach relationships the way we do. (laughs) Shocking, I know, but they don't. So it is not only a modern idea, it is a very cultural idea as well. And so sometimes it can be difficult to navigate relationships and faith, because we wanna go to the scriptures and we wanna see what God has to say about these things, And it's very, very hard because the Bible doesn't talk about dating. But, but it does talk about relationships. And it's got some very healthy approaches and ideas for relationships. So I wanna talk about dating tonight, I wanna talk about relationships tonight. We are going to cover a lot of ground. We've got a lot of Bible verses to look at because I want to see what the Word of God says about some things. So if that's cool with you, we're going to be looking at a lot tonight, a lot of ground to cover. And for the most part, we are going to be uh, learning out of a book together in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon. All right? Now, some of you guys who know what that book is, you already just blushed a little bit because you know where we're going. But just to clue you guys in, Song of Solomon is an Old Testament book. It is a Hebrew book of erotic writing. And some of you guys are like, whoa, that's in the Bible? <laughs> yes, it is. Read your Bibles, kids. Um, it, is a, it is a book uh, that is demonstrating a love relationship between uh, this this boy and this girl and kind of their pursuit of each other and their expression of that love and it gets pretty spicy okay so we are not going to cover everything in the book nor do i want to with you i gotta be honest i don't want to talk about that stuff with you Um, but we are going to take a look at some of it and the biblical concepts of relationships intimacy sex okay we're going to look at some of this briefly just a little flyover but I want to talk about the biblical approach to healthy relationships. Notice I didn't say dating there. Dating is a modern idea, a very western idea, but a biblical approach to relationships. All right, you guys with me? You tracking? You ready to dive in tonight? All right, here's what I want you guys to know. Every single relationship, for the most part, will start in the exact same way, and that way is wow, you guys don't know? That's why we're here, man. We're here to learn, bro. Snapchat. Snapchat is how it starts. What'd you say, Eden? It starts with? Attraction. Okay. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. I know you guys, thank you, half of the room. This half of the room's like, I'm not sure I'm ready to admit that because I'm a Christian. Okay. Christians aren't attracted to the people they love. They just love them, okay? You're liars. Attraction is the beginning of relationships, all right? So I have here four signs, and we're going to start with attraction, okay? So let me go ahead and put this one up. Huh? Oh, you said attraction? Congratulations. Gold star. Okay. Attraction is where it starts. Here's what I want you to know. Attraction is not wrong, because sometimes as Christians we think, ooh! you can't be attracted to someone. That's a sin. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. Any man that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So you can't be attracted. You're taking it about 10 steps too far. Attraction is simply looking at someone and admiring how they look. Okay. You're seeing them and you're like, yo, okay. You're attracted to them. And I want you to know this, that God has created us with the ability to be attracted to beauty. That is a God-given gift. Now, can we take that gift way too far? Absolutely, like anything else. Can we take that gift uh, to a point of sin? Absolutely, like anything else. But the idea of attraction in and of itself is not wrong. You are admiring something that is beautiful. You're attracted to something. You have preferences, you have things. Some of you guys have way too many preferences and you need to get real about what you're looking for in someone, all right? Realistic, take about 100 things off that list, okay? That person doesn't exist. But it is not wrong to be attracted. But here's what I want you to know. Attraction is good, attraction is not wrong, but attraction in and of itself is not enough. And that's one of the things we get so wrong when it comes to our approaches to dating and relationships. Attraction is not wrong, but attraction is not enough. And guys, I've been uh, working with students for a long time, almost two decades now. It's a long time. And one of the things that I've seen in the patterns of teenagers, no offense to you guys, is you put way too much stock in attraction. Like you're attracted to someone and it's like, I think God told me to marry them. No, he didn't. <laughs> he did not. Okay. Okay. But I, fe- I felt it. No, you didn't. Okay, that's, that's your impulse, <laughs> and you're playing the God card to get them to date you. Don't do that, all right? You are attracted to them. That's great. That's great. But attraction in and of itself is not enough. That is not enough of a foundation to build a healthy relationship on. So hear me. I don't want you to fall into the camp of, I can't ever be attracted to anyone because somehow that's wrong and icky and sinful. That's not true. God has created you with, it, with the ability to be attracted to beauty. We celebrate that. That's great. But if you're basing your entire relationship on the idea that you're attracted to someone physically, there's no foundation to that relationship other than attraction. And guys, I got news for you. I don't care how hot you are. I don't care how fine you are. A couple of decades down the road, you're going to be changing a little bit. Okay? You guys feel me? Your body will change shape. Your face will change looks. You will start making noises that you don't intend to make. Attraction fades okay? <laughs> so if all you're basing it on is attraction, it is a very hollow foundation. But let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about this, because these are not just my ideas. These are biblical ideas. So let's go ahead and start tonight off in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. Let's see what is being said here. Song of Solomon, verse two, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. This is the woman in Uh, the narrative. And she says this about Solomon, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Not sure where else his kisses would come from, but I'm glad she clarified. (laughs) The kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. Some of you guys are in the room you're in shock right now because we're teaching out of Song of Solomon. I mentioned two things in one sentence, kisses and wine. You're going to go home and tell your parents, Matt preached the most heretical sermon. He's off the deep end. Hear me out. (laughs) Here's what I want you to know about Hebrew writing and especially the Song of Solomon. It is um, oftentimes artistic language, descriptive language, used to capture emotions, and so they're using examples that help us understand their feelings. Jesus uh, taught in a very similar way in his parables, the kingdom of heaven is like an earthly example that we can comprehend. And so he's communicating something kind of Existential, a little bit, or figurative, or or something that would be harder to grasp by using something that we can tangibly understand. And so she is expressing her love for Solomon by by expressing her desire. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is better than wine. She's using this very artistic language. So she is expressing what? Attraction. She's expressing what? Desire. She is expressing what? Intimacy. So attraction is not wrong, but attraction is not enough. Let's take a look at what else the Bible has to say. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 25. Look at what this says. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. (sighs) Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Because you might have a friend that's a girl. You might have a friend of the opposite sex, and you guys have been hanging out, and you're chilling, just like friends, right? And then one night, you decide to go to prom together as friends. And one night, she decides to glue on the magnum eyelashes. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, she looks amazing. Like, like, it's amazing how half an inch of hair on the eyelid can do something. <laughs> Biblical authors know this. Biblical authors, sometimes we like to think we're the ones who invented, like, attraction or what it means to be sexy. Nah, fam, God invented that, okay? Okay. But biblical authors know this, and they know that there is such a thing as physical attraction. But they also know that if you base your entire relationship on that, it will fail. And that's what this proverb is about. This proverb is being written, and it says, don't desire her beauty in your heart. That doesn't mean don't think she's pretty, and if she is pretty, you should wish she wasn't pretty. (laughs) Like, that's not what that means. It just means that... The deepest desire for her in your heart should not be her attraction. Don't be captured by her eyelashes. (laughs) Again, artistic way of describing something. The biblical authors are trying to help us understand, do not be swept up in looks alone. If that's what drew you to that person and that's it, that relationship will fail, because that is a hollow foundation. It's not wrong, but it's not enough. Let's take a look at what Proverbs chapter 31 verse 30 says. Look at this verse. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm is deceitful. Girls, you can have some fine-looking 16, 17, 18-year-old dude. That's great, and he like checks all your boxes of what you're looking for. And he wears the white Nikes with the high white socks and the super shorty shorts. And he has like a a weird bowl cut that comes in the front and he shakes his head all the time. Like he may check all your boxes. That's wonderful for you, okay, good job. But in about 10 years, all of that's gonna change. And if the entire reason you dated that dude is because he's trending in 2022, I just promise you, I promise you, trends change. And your attractions will change. If looks are what you're about, it is not a strong foundation. That is what the biblical authors are saying. Dudes in the room, it's the same deal, man. I'm not going to uh, go down the road of what boxes you're checking for your girls. I'm just saying, if all you are on about is how that person looks, and you haven't considered character, which is what, what this proverb is talking about, it will fail. Charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is getting at a person's heart, character. Let's take a look at another verse, 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Peter writes this, Don't let your adorning be external. He's writing to women, but I think, I think the principles also apply to guys in the room. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter is saying, hey, listen, don't define your beauty by what's on the outside, but by what's on the inside. A lot of people have taken this verse way out of context and taken it to the deep end of what... It does not mean Peter is not saying, hey, it is a sin to braid your hair. Sorry! He's not saying that. He's not saying, hey, if you wear jewelry, (laughs) sinner. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the metric of your beauty should not be external, but internal. It should not be how you look, but what's in your heart. It should not be what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. And character, character, character is what matters. So is attraction wrong? Yes or no? No. Thank you. Someone's getting it. Three people are getting it. Is attraction wrong? No. 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 Is it enough? No. No. And some of us in the room already have learned this the hard way, haven't we? We dated that person because they were hot. We dated that person because they were fine. We dated that person based on how they looked. And then about a month into the relationship, we realized, ooh, (laughs) there's no connection here. (laughs) There has to be more than this, and there is. And what the Bible has to say about it, what God's Word has to say about it is, yeah, attraction's fine. Like, God has given us the gift to be attracted to beautiful things. But the thing we should be attracted to most is not a person's outside, but inside. So hear me, if you're in the room and you currently are dating someone, or you hope to be dating someone one day, which I hope you do. (laughs) Like, I don't want you to be alone for the rest of your life. If you fall into either of those two categories, which I would say is everybody in the room, not me, God's given me the gift of singleness, I know it. No, everybody in the room, for the most part, I hope. Hear me, what should you look for in a person more than anything else? Character, character, character. What's in their heart? Is this someone who loves Jesus with every, everything inside of them? Is this someone who models the attributes Of character. They are, the the New Testament talks about the fruit of the Spirit. They are self-controlled and they have joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Do they have love? Do they have compassion? Are there characteristics of Jesus on display in this person? Or are they self-centered and selfish and vain and cruel and mean and thoughtless? Yeah, but they're hot. Cool. In ten years I guarantee you that won't matter as much. Look for character. Fall in love with character. It's fine to be attracted to them. I'm not, I'm not telling you, go find the first person you're the most unattracted to, but make sure they have a good heart. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, make sure that what you're attracted to most is not how they look, but the character in their heart. You hear me? I, I promise you, this is a much stronger foundation for your relationship. So let's take a look at uh, this story in the Song of Solomon. We're only going to look at a couple of chapters here and there. The book is much longer, but let's take a look at this love narrative in the Old Testament. And so the first thing we are going to look at is chapter one. Go ahead and get there in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. Chapter one of Song of Solomon, we're going we're to look at verses seven and eight. And so what we're going to see is expression of love and expression of desire and artistic language that is trying to capture how they feel. So this is the girl talking first in verse seven. And then in verse eight, it's the the guy Solomon. So here's verse seven, the girl. She says this, tell me you whom my soul loves. Oh, that's sweet. It's very nice. Tell me you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock. Girls, have you ever said that to a guy? If you haven't, you might want to try it. (laughs) Yo, dude, (laughs) where you pastor your flock at? (laughs) He'd hang up. He'd hang up in a heartbeat. She weird. (laughs) Tell me, you who my soul loves, where do you pastor your flock? And where do you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Hold on, let's, let's hang on this verse for a second. If you're in the room and, like, you're, you were born in the last 16 years, 17, 18 years, which is everyone for the most part, you're going to look at this verse and be like, what the heck does she mean by this? What is this? Like, how, do, how does this anything, right? So remember, this is ancient literature, and they're writing in ways to capture feelings and emotions. She is basically saying to him, How can I find you? Tell me where you're going to be. Tell me where you make your flock lie down and I'll be there. Tell me where you're going to pasture and I'll show up. She's basically telling him, I don't wanna play games. I don't wanna do this hard to get thing. I don't wanna try to pretend like I'm not into you, but I really am. Tell me where you're going to be and when, and I'll show up. Tell me where you pasture your flock. Where do you make it lie down at noon? Why should I be like one who hides herself beside the flocks of your friends? She's basically saying, I don't want to hide myself. I want to know where you're going to be. Where are you going to be at noon? I want to be there. I want to be with you. She's making her intentions clear. Now look how he responds in verse 8. If you do not know, oh most beautiful among women. Guys, you see what he did there? Take notes. The way he speaks to her is very nice. Try this out next time, yo. Most beautiful among women, I it might do something for you. If you do not know, oh, most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. So basically, this is his way of saying, listen, if you really don't know where I'm gonna be, I've made it easy to find me. Follow the trail. A little hard to get there, like mm, find me out in the flock, girl. <laughs> follow the trail. All right? I've made it obvious where I'm going to be. Do you see the language that they are using? It is very clear. It is clear in its intention. It is clear in its desire. Is this how we typically approach relationships in modern Western American dating culture? Yes or no? I heard one yes. I heard a lot of no's. No, it is not. Don't even, try. Don't even try to tell me. The majority of ways that we approach dating is clear like this. How do we approach dating? We got a crush on someone because we're attracted to them, and then we play this weird game, and depending on if you're a guy or a girl, you have different approaches. Most dudes try to put on heavy amounts of swagger, and we think the dumbest things will impress girls. We learned this from a very young age, didn't we? If there's a cute girl in the kindergarten class, what do we do? Hey, you want to see me do a backflip? <laughs> <laughs> we we learn to like, puff our chest out and, and flaunt our colors. It's the peacock syndrome, right? You guys know the male peacock? They're the ones with the pretty tail feathers. And they... <laughs> like spread that thing out and then they just like walk up on that girl peek out there like yo look at my feathers girl like it is exactly what guys do hey you see that cliff up there you want to see me jump off like like no we don't care we don't guys approach crushes with flaunting and trying to do dumb things that they (laughs) oh, get them Tommy that they think will impress the girl I don't think I've ever heard of a guy that finds a girl attractive and immediately goes to that girl and tells her how he feels. That's like not even in our playbook. (laughs) Tell him, Tommy. But girls, you're not off the hook either because you know, you know what you do. You pretend like you're uninterested and you're all aloof about it, and that male peacock is like behind you and he's walking and you just got your back turned and you're like, mm, I, don't, I don't even see you, dude, I don't even care. But inside, like that Friday night, you have a sleepover with all your girls and you're like, Ooh, did you see how he was flying? Did you see? He's so into me. And you make it so weird with this playing hard to get, I'm not interested, but I am interested game. But here's the deal. Here's why this is a problem. For guys, we are so dumb. I, girls, I don't know if you know this, but we can't read the clues. We don't know the signs. We can't interpret what you're doing. Guys think that when you're uninterested, it means try even harder. That's what guys think. I, I asked her, out. she said no. So now i got to come up with an elaborate promposal. No, you don't. <laughs> she said no. But girls, half of the time, you mean no, and half of the time, you mean not yet. (laughs) And it's so confusing. So look at what's going on in verses seven and eight. The girl in Song of Solomon is very clear about her feelings and intentions. I want to be where you're going to be. I like you. Where are you going to be? And Solomon responds very clearly with his intentions. You are most beautiful among women and if you don't know where I'll be, then just follow the tracks. It is clear. Their intentions are clear. Their desires are clear. They don't play games. They don't have this weird like cat and mouse game. What do they really mean? What do they mean by that? Like literally, (laughs) literally today's dating culture for teenagers is like, if I take a picture of my face and I include like my nose bridge and this eyeball up, it means something. Like, I like you, girl. Ooh. But if I take a picture with like both eyes and my like half of my upper lip, it means I'm over this, right? Like, you send the weirdest Snapchats and these things mean something and there's some code in there somewhere. They're not playing games. I find you attractive and I'm asking, Are you interested? Now, as fun as the games are and as exciting as they are, honestly, if you've ever been one and you've been broken by that and you've been heartbroken by that and you've been let down, how much better would it be? Honestly, guys, how much better would it be if you had the courage and you told the girl, I find you attractive, I find you very beautiful, and I'm wondering if you'd like to get to know each other better? If she told you no right then and there and meant no, how much better is that? then a six-month to a one-year-long process of a weird, like flirtatious, she's not interested, but she leads you on, and now you're in the friend zone for indefinitely, <laughs> right? How much better would it be if she were just straight up with you in the beginning? Yes? Thank you. One person says yes. Thank you. Girls, how much better would it be if that young man showed courage and maturity and articulated his feelings for you and didn't leave you wondering where he was at, And didn't leave you wondering if he's attracted to you and a bunch of other girls as well. And like, what are his intentions? How much better would it be if those things were all clearly set from the beginning? Yes? Yes. Yes. Wow. Thank you, girls. (laughs) Guys, step up here. So what if, attraction's not wrong, but it's not enough. So what if instead of basing everything on attraction, we began to seek chemistry? People that we naturally gravitate towards, that we immediately know there's a connection there. Yes, we're attracted, but there's something more. I'm attracted to their heart. I'm attracted to their character. There seems to be some connection here that's natural, and I want to pursue it. And we're honest about our intentions. We're honest about our feelings. And we're upfront with them. We're clear with them. Because typically, typically, this is what happens, Modern dating, right? We are attracted to someone, yes? And then we begin talking. Honestly, this should be in like little quotes because that's how we always say it. Oh, we're talking. (laughs) And then we begin talking, yes? You guys with me? Okay. After a long time of, or maybe a short time of talking though, inevitably what happens? We get confused. And then we have something called the DTR. You guys ever had the DTR? Defining the relationship. We got to have the talk and we got to figure out where we're at and what are your intentions and like what do you want out of this and like where are we and are we actually dating? Is this real? Are we exclusive? What like we have that weird, very awkward, or if not multiple ones of those. And then before you know it, talking moves too. It's complicated. I have no idea where we're at. I'm very confused with where we're at. And it was cool in the beginning, but now, like, a month and a half has gone by. Two months have gone by, and I'm not sure what they really want. I'm not sure if they really like me. Like, on the front end, they were sending a bunch of Snapchats, but now they only send, like, once a week. We don't have a good streak anymore. Like, it's just so complicated now. And so we're so confused. And so we begin with attraction, and then we start talking, and then it gets confusing, and so we have these conversations because it's all complicated, and we're trying to figure them out. And honestly, modern dating would say, hey, if you can't figure any, anything out, there is one last Hail Mary, and it's just start getting physical. Because <clears throat> if you're attracted to them, ultimately you want to be physical with them. If you're attracted to them and you start talking, and it gets confusing, if you just start fooling around, that'll spark the intimacy. And that's true, but here's what happens. Once you begin getting physical, it gets even more complicated. And now, because it's more complicated and the lines are way more blurry, now you have to spend tons more time talking to try to figure it out. And if, because you believe in Jesus, the Spirit starts to convict you for getting physical way too early, now it's even more complicated. And now you have to talk even more and maybe even confess some things to other people. Now it gets even more complicated. And now this attraction that you had in the beginning doesn't seem like it's enough at all but sometimes the attraction doesn't even lead to talking. Sometimes the attraction leads to getting physical right away. You don't even know what their character is. You're just attracted to them. So you get physical, and then it gets really, really complicated, because you realize, oh, we don't actually know each other. We got physical way too quick, and now we're really connected, but we don't know each other. It's very complicated, and so now you spend a ton of time talking to try to get to know each other, but you realize we cross way too many lines over here, and it just ends up being complicated. Do you guys see how modern dating, like the way that modern dating approaches relationships, is entirely inadequate to actually set one up for success? Like these are the four categories of modern dating. Attraction leads to some type of pursuit. We're talking, but it gets complicated. Just get physical. I promise you this will not succeed. I promise you it will not succeed in a way that helps your relationship thrive. What if instead of attraction only, we began to seek chemistry? We're not just attracted to their looks, we're attracted to their character. There is something about my heart and my character that seems very harmonious with theirs. We are clear in our intentions, we are upfront with our expectations. Let's look at uh, what happens next in this narrative verses 9 and 10. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So <clears throat> this is. Solomon talking, again, he's using artistic language. Guys, take notes. If you struggle to write notes to your boot, take some notes on his language. He says this, I compare you, my love, to a mare. Girls, I know your deepest desire, deep down, is to be compared to a horse. I know that. And so does Solomon, and that's why he writes this way. I compare you to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck... With a string of jewels. So Solomon is speaking to her and he's telling her that she is like a horse and that she has nice cheeks. (laughs) This is the man, all right? So, but listen to what he's doing. He is speaking life into her. Now, why is that important? Because look at chapter one, verse six, for a second. This is what she writes in verse six. I don't have it up there, so just listen if you don't have your Bible in front of you. She says this, don't look at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So in our culture, we value like being tan. That's just one of the things about American culture. We say, oh, that's attractive. Tan is attractive. But other cultures are the complete opposite. Paler skin is what's attractive. And apparently, in this time, in this culture, being out of the sun and having pale skin was what was a mark of beauty. And she's saying, in verse 6, don't look too hard on me because I am dark. I've had to work the vineyards. My brothers were angry with me. They made me work. The sun beat down on me all day. I am dark, and I haven't had time to tend my own vineyard. And what she means by that is, I've been working so hard for my family. I haven't been able to prioritize myself. The sun has... uh, been beating on me for so long, I'm dark. Again, cultural value, pale skin was beautiful. So this woman is communicating in the front end some of her insecurities. But look how Solomon responds. He speaks life into her. Guys, seriously, take notes. I know we've been joking, but every single person in this room has insecurities. Statistically speaking, most girls will struggle with insecurities related to their body image, how they look, that's why it's so dangerous to get on platforms like Instagram and see these perfect lives being modeled which are not perfect at all. They're being staged and photoshopped and edited and just the right filters and just the right lighting and we look at it as if, oh, this is this is what I want and we compare ourselves and we have all these insecurities and inadequacies and she does too. Thousands of years ago, people still struggled with insecurities based on how they look and she's saying, "Don't look on me because I'm so dark" and he writes to her and speaks to her, and he says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among the pharaoh's chariots. Why is that important? Because the pharaoh, the pharaoh would always have white horses. Now, we don't get that as Americans. We just read it as, but he understands culturally Pharaoh would always have white horses, and he is riding to her in such a way that speaks life into her. You're insecure about your dark skin, but I compare you to the white horses of the Pharaoh. You stand out to me among others. You don't look like the rest. You are beautiful, and you stand out. Now, girls, honestly, how great would it be to have that said to you by, by your boyfriend one day? I don't look at you like the rest. You are more beautiful than any. You stand out to me compared to the rest. Like, come on, right? That's speaking life into her, and especially into her insecurities. And so he speaks into her in a way that brings life. Look at verses Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is how she begins to talk about herself. In verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily among the valleys. And so it seems like her confidence in her image is growing. Look in verse 2, as a lily among the brambles, so is my love among the young women. He tells her like a lily among the brambles, you are a flower compared to thorns in my eyes. Look at the way he speaks to her. Look at the way he speaks life into her and speaks towards her insecurities. And not only just him. Now, this is, a, this is kind of an amazing thing about this book because it is a love narrative between Solomon and this woman. But every now and then, you get this little mark in the writing that says, others, others, others. And one of those is in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. And it says, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Now, what's, what's important about this is That this guy Solomon and his relationship with this woman is not a private relationship. All throughout the book of Song of Solomon there's these others, 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 others that begin to speak into their relationship and they affirm the relationship. They affirm the love being expressed between Solomon and this woman. And why is that important? Because modern dating in America is defined by American values and one of American values is privacy autonomy, individuality. And so we don't invite others into our relationships. And so we kind of pursue people in secret. We have all these like relationships and crushes on the down low, and we do all these sneaky sneak things, and we use social media and to kind of like create connections because we can control the privacy of all that and we have apps that hide apps that hide apps so our parents won't find it. And we do all these like sneaky sneak things and one of the things being modeled in this book is if you want to have a healthy and successful relationship, you need other people speaking into that relationship. You need accountability. You need help. You need wisdom beyond your years. But that's not exactly what we do. So hear me. This is a good rule of thumb. If you have a crush on someone, and you desire them, and you want to pursue a relationship with them, and your closest friends, the people that love you most and care about your well-being, if your friends tell you that there's red flags, if your friends tell you, don't do that, if your friends tell you, hey, we know something about their character that you don't know, trust us, it is a red flag. Listen to your friends because they desire the best for you. Do not let attraction dictate wisdom, which we so often do. Yeah, but they're hot and I could change them. No, you can't. (sighs) Jesus can, you can't. Wait till Jesus does, then pursue him, okay? If I had a dime for every time, a girl thought she could change the bad boy. No, you can't. All right. Listen, <clears throat> if your friends speak to you and say, it's not wise, don't do it. There's red flags. Listen to your friends. What we often do is we ask for advice from someone like, hey, dude, I'm thinking about, you know, going after this girl. What do you think? Oh, bro, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, she's not good, man. She's toxic. She's unhealthy. She's unhealthy. We're like, "Mm." then we go to another friend. Hey, I'm thinking about going, and they say the same thing. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, dude, she's done like the same thing to the past four dudes. Don't do it. we're like, "Mm." and we go to another friend and we ask that friend, you know, I'm thinking about pursuing this girl and that dude doesn't know a thing about her. And he's like, yeah, man, go for it. We're like, oh (laughs) yeah, man, see, that's what friends are for. And now that is not wisdom. You are seeking advice till you hear what you want to hear. You're setting yourself up for failure. That is not wisdom. All throughout the book of Song of Solomon, others are speaking into the relationship and affirming the love. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So if your family or friends are speaking in and saying, don't do it, listen. But look at how Solomon and the girl are talking. They're not playing games. They're not being sneaky sneaks. They're expressing Affection, they're expressing attraction, and they're expressing intention. They're not talking, cultural talking. What are they doing instead? They're communicating. And communicating is very different than talking. Good? Some of you guys know I just got back um, from Azerbaijan. And it's a country in the Middle East. And we were there doing some training with church planters. And my translator was a 20-year-old, 20-year-old guy, and it was such a joy to be with him. And he was in a relationship. Oh, they got nothing out of you? Okay. He was in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I know you don't know. He was in a relationship, and, um, you know, I was asking about the customs there, because, man, I want to learn. What's the customs here? And get this, in that country, if you desire to be in a, in a, in a dating relationship, dating relationship, you first have to get both families to weigh in with wisdom, and you have to get the support, especially of her parents. And one of the things I asked him is, man, I got to be honest, one of the things I've noticed this entire week is that, like, the guys don't flirt with the girls in vain. Like, there's, there's no, man, there's just no, like, dumb, like, guys trying to be macho and cool and swag and get yeah, what up, man. Like, there's just none of that dumb stuff. Like, the guys actually treat the girls with dignity and respect, and they're upright, and they're honest. I said, man, so do you guys, like, not flirt in this culture? He's like, no. What's at stake is the reputation of the girl. And the way men think about women in this culture is we have to honor their reputation. And if we flirt with them but don't have intentions to date them, that's a shameful thing for the girl. And I was like, please teach Americans how to do this. It was so amazing. They don't flirt in vain. And they only pursue someone when there's been chemistry built and wisdom families have weighed into this. It was amazing. It's amazing. Now, that may seem old school to you, but just think about the amount of pain being avoided in that system. Think about the wisdom in that system. He told me, he said, actually, um, his girlfriend, and, and he, he said, actually, we never even had the conversation of, like, are we actually boyfriend and girlfriend? We just spent so much time together and formed chemistry, and so much trust got built off that, that the way we began to speak to each other clearly defined that we were interested in being, belonging to one another. And I was like, bro. (laughs) Like, (laughs) write a book, please, dear Americans. Um, So, attraction, think chemistry. Talking, think communication. All right. Third, it's complicated. Let's take a look. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. She says this, the voice of my beloved... Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Girls, speak to your man this way, this is good. Like a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall gazing through the windows. sounds creepy, I'm gonna explain it in a minute. Looking through the lattice. So, if you're not careful, this sounds really creepy. It sounds like a stalker. He's just like outside her house looking through the window. Who's like, there he is. He came like a deer to do this. Here's what she's saying. Here's what she's saying. It's artistic language. Remember, she's describing something. What she's saying is that he is looking through the windows of her house, he's looking through the lattice the privacy of her house. In other words, it's not literal. He's not some creepy dude in the bushes. What she means is he sees the real me. He sees into what others don't see. He sees beyond what others don't see. He has seen the mess, he has seen the crazy, he has seen the emotional, he sees the real me, and still he comes like a deer or a gazelle leaping over the mountains. He is like prancing to this girl, even though he has seen the real her. He's seen her at her worst, and still he pursues her with love. Look at verse 15, chapter two, verse 15. She says this, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. In the book of Song of Solomon, their love is described as a vineyard, this growing thing, and it's in blossom, it's bearing fruit. But she says, in our vineyard, or in other words, in our love, there are foxes. The foxes will eat things up, the foxes will destroy the vineyard. So. Catch the foxes. Catch the little foxes. That's what she's telling the dude. In other words, what she's saying is, our love has challenges. There will be things in our relationship that are challenging to our relationship. They will test us. We will date for the first three to six months, and it'll be all like, oh, (laughs) they're the best thing in the world. How could it get any better? Right? And then all of a sudden, around month six, you're like, I hate this person. What am I doing? Why am I with them? And the people that we thought we were attracted to, we are now annoyed with. You ever been there? And in the beginning, you were like, "Oh, I love it. They're so different than me. And we think, oh yeah, opposites attract. That's true. But eventually, opposites attack. <laughs> and you get to that point and you're like, I gotta get out of this thing, man. But her point is, listen, every relationship will have foxes. Every relationship will have foxes that come into the vineyard or into the relationship and they will begin to destroy things. And what love looks like is you begin to deal with those foxes. It requires an incredible amount of endurance. It requires an incredible amount of commitment. Because what this means is you have to be honest about the things that are destroying your relationship. But here's what that really means. You have to be honest about yourself. It's very, very easy to look at the other person in a relationship and be like, wow, look at all their baggage! No wonder this thing's failing. (laughs) It's incredibly hard to look down and realize, whoa, look at all my baggage. If you really want to have a healthy relationship If you really want to hunt down the foxes that are destroying the relationship, it begins with self-awareness. So oftentimes in dating relationships, we try to work on the other person. Like, oh, maybe if I could chip away at some of those things. Instead, work on yourself. Deal with the foxes in yourself, and that way you will be able to see into the real person. You'll be able to look through the windows and look through the lattice and see the real person and still pursue them with love and vitality. So what if instead of it's complicated, we change that to compatibility? We begin to work on our foxes. We begin to work on the things that destroy the relationship. We pursue one another by growing in our own self-awareness And dealing with our own baggage and for you that may mean a lot of things it may mean that you need to begin a counseling process or a mentor process where someone is speaking into your life to reveal those blind spots it may mean you need to do a lot of repenting it may mean you need to do a lot of soul work it may mean a lot of things but what if we were committed to the relationship enough that when it got to that six month point where it's like wow this is really hard we endured and we still pursued by working on ourselves and growing in our own self-awareness. It's really, really easy to date until a point where it gets hard and then stop and then date someone else to a point when it gets hard and then stop. Here's what I wanna let you know. There are lessons that you need to learn about yourself. You can run from them as long as you want, but until you stop and start to deal with them, you will never actually learn the lessons. Every relationship you have will be plagued by the same baggage. So work on yourself and take care of the foxes. Okay? Last thing, physical. So, all of us in here, it's just part of how we're made. It's the same thing as attraction. The way God has created men and women, He has created us to have desires, physical desires, that are poured out of our attraction and our connection and our intimacy. It would be weird, and in many ways, not at all how God made you to be, if you were very, very attracted to someone and had great chemistry with them and you've been clear in your intentions and then you begin communicating and your desires are expressed and you grew in your self-awareness and you're working on your foxes and you're pursuing one another and then you get here and you're like, oh, but I don't want to be physical at all, ew. Like, that would be weird because that is not how God has created men and women. We were created with desires that flow out of attraction, connection, intimacy, commitment, that is how God has created us. But hear me, he has created those things to belong in a certain place in the relationship. So think about it this way. In my home, I have a wood-burning fireplace. That was very important to me, to have a wood-burning fireplace. I don't want a gas fireplace. I don't want that thing. All you gotta do is twist a knob, poof, and then you got it. no, 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 I wanna work for my fireman. So I have a wood-burning fireplace. And we get that thing roaring in the wintertime. We throw some oak in there and get it roaring and heats up the, the basement where it's at. It's great. We love it. And that fireplace is designed with specific metal and specific stone that it can take that heat and channel the heat and the smoke up and out through the chimney. My home has a place designated for a fire. But what if I decided, you know what, we don't feel like hanging out in the basement, we wanna hang out in the living room. Living room has carpet, it doesn't have a fireplace, but maybe we could use one of the corners to start a fire to keep us warm. And so I built a fire in the corner of my living room and there's no metal and there's no stone and there's no chimney. It's the same thing, it's still a fire, it's still heat, but all of a sudden I've put it in a place where it doesn't belong, and instead of heating and being enjoyable and being a delight to be around, it just destroys everything. And that is what sex is like. That is what physical intimacy is like. God has created it, it's a wonderful gift, but it belongs in a certain place. The Bible says that place is called a covenant, a a lifelong commitment to one another. In the language of the Bible, a covenant is the only thing that, wi- that can withstand the immense weight and gravity of being physically intimate with one another, that I'm committed to you forever. That's the only thing that can actually hold and harness the passion of this thing. If we try to bring that into any other place, it just destroys. Feels good at first. Oh, this is warm. This is nice. And before we know it, the whole room's on fire. It doesn't belong there. It's not wrong to have desires. That's how God made you, but we don't act upon them until we're in covenant, biblically speaking. But look, let's look in Song of Solomon, chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Uh, <clears throat> this is the, the woman speaking. She says this, "'Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. "'Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are pine. You're like, why is she talking about her green couch? Here's what she means. Again, artistic language to communicate something else. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. That's a type of tree. And our rafters are pine. That's another kind of tree. What she's saying is where we sit is green. The house we sit in is pine and cedar. She is describing that they spend their time together outside. Our couch is green. Where we sit is grass. Where we spend time is the forest, the trees, the woods. In other words, outside. They have strong desires for each other. We're about to read one of those in a minute. But they are very wise and they express their relationship in the context of being around other people. In other words, they keep themselves in sight of others. One of the easiest traps to fall into is being alone, being in private with someone that you have some strong desires for. And I understand that sometimes it happens really innocently, like you guys are hanging out, and you're watching a movie or something like that, and then all of a sudden like her parents leave, and they're like, oh, we we just got to run a quick errand. We got to go to the grocery store real quick. We'll be back in 15 minutes. And I know in your head, it's like, oh, oh, what do I do? Like 15 minutes, it's not a long time, but like, should I leave? Should we go outside just for a second? No, nah, man, like I can control myself. Like, oh, we can do this. Like, get outside. <laughs> One of the most dangerous things that you can do for your relationship is cultivate all these sexual desires and then put yourself in a private setting. Even if the parents are home and you're like, "Yo, we're we gonna go chill in the basement later and you shut the door, private setting. Some of you know from experience, just how easy it is to begin to fool around and never get caught simply because you shut a door when you could have left it open. And that's her point. We make our home. We make ourselves able to be seen. We are outside. Our couch is green. The rafters are cedar or pine, and the the beams are cedar. But listen to her desire. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. This is as like deep in the sexual stuff as I'm going to get tonight. But she says this, Uh, Apples and raisins are very sensual fruits in this culture. Listen to how she speaks. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Ooh! With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Watch out. Refresh me with apples for I'm sick with Love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. So it's very descriptive. She's expressing some desires she's having. God has made us to crave certain desires when we have trust and intimacy and attraction and chemistry and relationship and compatibility and communication. That's normal. But listen to what she says. Verse 7. Verse 7. I beg you, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So she's honest about her desires. Basically, she's saying, yo, my dude, I'm craving what you got. <laughs> I want the apples and the raisins. Okay, she, our culture would say that girl is thirsty right there. <laughs> She's being honest about her desires, but look at what she says, but do not stir up love or awaken it until it pleases. In other words, until the proper time. Biblically speaking, that is in a covenant relationship when you have committed to each other forever. So verse seven, don't stir up love or awaken love until it pleases or until the proper time. This is repeated over and over and over again in this book. This book is all about being honest about how God has created us with sexual expressions and desires, but also, more loudly than the desires, she expresses caution. Hey, I have desires, but don't stir up the love before it's time. I have desires, but we're going to be outside. We're going to be seen by others. Others are invited into our relationship our relationship is not just based on physical attraction alone, but chemistry, a character-based attraction. I have these desires, but if it's not the right time, we will not stir up or awaken love. And so instead of getting physical, what if we could set up boundaries? Now, people in the room who really value alliteration, I just let you down because we've got CCCB. Okay, so I'm sorry if it really bothers you, just write control. Okay, control. Control yourselves. Okay, but that's the point. I don't want to stand up here and preach to you, you should, you should pretend like you don't have any physical desires, because I, I actually don't think that's healthy. I think that does a lot of harm in the long run. A lot of the counseling I've done over the years is actually helping people understand that um, the way God has created them <clears throat> is actually, does actually need to be expressed within marriage. So I don't want to tell you, you shouldn't be attracted to them. You should never desire things. I don't think that's right, biblically speaking. But I also want to tell you, do not awaken love or stir it up before the proper time. When is the proper time? According to the scripture, it seems like the only thing that can endure being physically intimate with one another and sustain it for the long haul is a covenant relationship. The fire has found its proper home so create boundaries be outside be in public have accountability don't be in private i don't know who you are or or your history but a good rule of thumb is typically the more sexualized you were as a child the heavier your boundaries need to be growing up like me when i dated in high school which was a train wreck by the way but when i dated i needed like strict boundaries like girl, don't even look at me. Like, no, not that straight. But I needed strict boundaries because growing up, I unfortunately was very promiscuous. I thought that's what young men were supposed to do. So when I came to know Jesus and I tried to start having relationships in high school, I had very strict boundaries because I knew myself. I was self-aware. I was working on my foxes. I didn't even want to test the waters. You know yourselves. You know what boundaries you need to create. But don't be foolish and don't deceive yourself. Sometimes we think, No, I got it, man. I can spend hours in private and not fool around. Okay. Set boundaries that will protect the heart of the relationship. Because once you cross that line, before it's time, it tends to destroy rather than create intimacy. So, four principles of modern dating, I'm trying to redeem a little bit and say, instead of attraction... What if we had chemistry? Instead of talking, what if we actually began to communicate? Instead of things getting complicated, what if we sought compatibility? And instead of fooling around, what if we actually had boundaries or control in the relationship? I promise you, if you begin to practice these four biblical principles, seen in one of the spiciest books in the Bible, you will begin to have healthy, God-honoring relationships that bring you life and protect you for the long haul. And the older you get, the more you'll appreciate that, I promise. Cool? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And I pray over each and every student in this room that you would help us cultivate biblical relationships. Your word doesn't talk about dating, um, but it does talk about intimacy all over the place, actually. It does talk about romance. It does talk about sex it does talk about desires it does talk about love and father your word says a lot about those things and how you created us and how easily we can fall into traps and so father i pray a blessing over this room of students that these students would be marked by healthy relationships by relationships set upon Jesus Christ, and that they would begin to cultivate attraction, not based on looks alone, but based on character, and that they'd have the integrity to begin communicating upfront their expectations, and that they would begin to find people that they are compatible with instead of just someone that they're attracted to. And Father, that they would set healthy boundaries and by the strength of the Spirit of God that you would help them remain pure and in, and have integrity in those relationships so that they can preserve the beauty of that intimacy until its proper time. Father, we pray these things over this room and we ask them in the name of your Son through the power of your Spirit. Amen.